Sure, absolutely. So I started off in the uh, I, I started off in advertising about a decade ago. Before that, I was a Sirius XM radio personality and a touring musician all around the United States. Um, and I basically moved to LA, got a job doing data entry, and I got an MBA. I got my dog here now too. Uh, and um, so I, it's in that time I've worked my way up from data entry, the lowest level, to being. Um, it took me a couple of years, but I ended up being supervisor um a major international conglomerate ad agency where i was managing million dollar a day dr and branding spends on a regular basis and ultimately worked from there to different um facebook marketing partners and some other people um and, and uh eventually got to the point where i was managing half a dozen brands across half a dozen platforms spending fifty thousand to a million dollars a day for different business objectives up and down and then ultimately when you and i met where i was working I um I brought that brand from maybe five or ten thousand dollars a day to thirty to fifty thousand dollars a day, and um, while increasing efficiency while doing it, and we had been designated a Facebook disruptor, which basically means that Facebook has this internal team of the top hundred, hundred and thirty advertisers, and um, I was basically the lead guy on that. It was funny at the event that you were talking about. There's like a who's spending ten thousand a month, who's spending whatever, and then it was like. Who's spending a hundred thousand? I was like, me, and there's like, how much are you guys spending a month? Well, we do roughly one to two million a month, and it was like, it was really interesting. And then my boss dropped his uh, Tesla keys into the ice bucket, and it was awkward. And it was funny too. Like I've been inside of Facebook groups helping people out for years, and so I knew Tim Bird and the Cat Howells and the Nick Shackleford's of the world from that. And um, when I walked in, there was a student, there was a guy in my group behind me, and a guy in my group in front of me. So like when I walked in, I was already, people were asking like, are you speaking on this thing? Are you gonna be doing that? I'm like, oh no, I'm just here to whatever. And so that was great. And also going to traffic and conversion summits and all these other big things. It's great to see those people. And um, so now I've been, what happened is once I got into the Facebook disruptor ecosystem with the top 130 or so advertisers, uh, half of those people end up being customers of mine in big you know, international brands. I don't want to like drop names because it's not important. Um, but, uh, you know, huge budgets, huge brands, people that are basically, what we ended up doing was, it's the branch of internal advertisers on Facebook that work with the product team and the auction team and the customer service and everybody. So we're testing out individual things. So like when CPO came out, we were getting $100,000 a month, a million dollar a month testing coupons from Facebook to define the best practices. So a lot of times when I would see people trying to teach like, what's going well, what are the best, what is the best practice, what isn't. And it was seeing that it was actually based on a bunch of mistakes and work that I had done six to nine months earlier. And, and so it was really great to kind of just be recognized as that. And I think for awesome. me, the most exciting thing is knowing that it's the, what Facebook does better than anybody else is generate um, intent and use this big machine learning and being on the very bleeding edge where I knew friends in the messenger team, in the product team, in the auction team. Like, you know, the guy that, uh, does all of the teaching for the North America when they go on to the Facebook Blueprint coursework. Uh, the guy that does all the voiceover, Shidi, he's like, wish me congratulations when I got engaged. Like, these are all now my friends, right? Um, and, and so being somebody that was challenging all of those people um, and teaching them was really great. And, and I think that one of the lessons I learned early on was everybody listens to the reps. If you're better than the rep, you're better than 80% of the people. So my thing was just teach, get to the point where I'm teaching the reps and then I'm better than everybody. And um, I was a rough employee at the time because I was always breaking the rules to try to test things. Mm -hmm. But uh, I learned now that I've been in the biz and supervising a director level for a long time. I understand like where the value comes from those. And 
Um, ultimately, what ended up happening, I found, was that the way that I was solving problems was just more, it was, was different than the way that everybody else was doing it because I wasn't responding to lessons that were nine months or two years old because I had already gotten them because I already worked on the case study to beat that. So I've always found myself ahead of the curve on everything that was happening. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, and, and we can get into this big, huge deep dive, but I think it's really built around account simplicity and really working on identifying what your number one most important business objective is and then solving for that in a really systematic testing way and, and centralizing as much spend and as much data as you can into a centralized location. Um, because Facebook, what it does better than anybody else is their machine learning is better than anybody else in creating intent. And what they need is content from you to keep people clicking. And the reward that you get for people's attention is rewards by them spending your money. So I think that what I have to say is, is the number one thing that I think that I do differently than other people is I don't try to cheat the system. I try to empower the system to do all the work for me because I can manage six figure a month ad budgets on like less than 90 minutes a day, a few days a week. And I'm accomplishing way more than people that are spending eight hours a day beating their head into the wall, chasing their tail. I, I've seen the results in business and also understanding that when you're an advertiser, you're not just trying to get the best results out of the system, but how it understands in the overall business context. I've seen people that try to scale their business by launching 20 different products. And I've seen people succeed by having three and just having good customer service. I understand like what the impacts of like why a 10x ROAS might be terrible is because like maybe your cost of goods, you're not accounting in, you know, any of these other facets. And like maybe you're doing phenomenal on a video view campaign, but really that's just because it's driving the email thing and you're getting credit for everybody else's work. But in a business objective, that's not actually producing anything. You're just creating waste. So like if you can understand how Facebook can be incremental to the business and then hyperbolically blow the, that thing up to as big as it can be, then you're providing the most value. And if you're providing the most value, you're going to get more and more ad dollars. When you get more and more ad dollars, you can make more and more mistakes, which means you're going to get better and better and better. Learn from them. Yeah, absolutely. And, and, and I think part of the reason that I was able to do that, and one of the reasons why I think that I got this great leapfrog forward was being the guy that managed not only the Facebook, but the Pinterest, the Snapchat, the Google, the you know every every platform all at once and understanding that how they interplay what the contribution to the bottom line that they all do as well as also managing like an email team and the site development team and the ads team and then also um there was a point in time at an ad agency where my job was basically when a client works with an ad agency they, there's usually a few agencies that have different uh, responsibilities so my job was basically, okay, we're bringing Charlie in so that he can steal 50% of the budget from everybody else. How do we basically undermine every, how do we prove that we're more valuable than everybody else so we can get a larger pool? And that way we can centralize our money, provide more value and get bigger profits. So my job basically became, how do I steal money from other people so I can do a better job? Um, which basically meant, how can I show value in a more honest, direct and efficient manner than other people? And when I was able to get really good at that, it became about prioritization and understanding the way business works together. And I think that um, no lesson was better than that for me because ultimately as an advertiser, you're talking to business owners and you need to drive business results. Yeah, so I think, well, first off, we can define what the Facebook feed really is. And I think there's a massive misconception. Every single Facebook post is actually a web page. Your Facebook feed is just navigating through web pages like search results in Google. 
So when you are seeing a Facebook feed, it's them trying to deliver you the most interesting content. And because Facebook's number one commodity is attention. So they need people to stay on and they, what works for them is what they call thumb stopping. The average, the average user on uh, their phone will scroll through the height of the Eiffel Tower on a daily basis. What can you do to stop them for 30 seconds, right? And if you can do that, you're providing value to the platform by creating content that the user wants to see. So I think ultimately a lot of people look at how do I sell the product the best? How do I do all this? And when you understand that really the, the, the Facebook auction that occurs when it's placing ads inside of the feed, and they used to call it the edging system and they have some other name for it now. But really what they're doing is they're trying to show somebody the content they feel that person will be most likely to take an action on. When Facebook does the auction, it's your, the way that they calculate your actual bid, your cost per impression is your budget and your estimated action rate. That estimated action rate isn't a desired, isn't a conversion, it's not a subscription or a purchase or a lead or whatever it is that you're doing, an app, download, whatever. It's, is this person taking any action, whether it's positive or negative? And then based on that, they're then gonna do a qualitative analysis on whether or not it's amount of time, whether it's positive sentiment, negative sentiment, they can punish you if you're basically making people unhappy with Facebook. If you, they show an ad, you, they click on it and then don't come back to Facebook for the rest of the day, you're not gonna be in the feed. So, um, understanding that your job as an advertiser is to provide content to keep people on the platform. Um, and then that custom, then the platform will deliver you a more desired result. It is really strong. And what machine, what, what Facebook's news feed is just their amalgamation of everything that they think you're going to be interested in and everything that you're going to respond positively to and not just see it but actually engage with it. Like if you're delivering content that people X out of when they say hide the ad or if they're leaving negative content or if they're leaving negative comments, people monitor social proofing and they think of it inside of their comment section as well. I only want good reviews. It's like an Amazon review section that I can monitor, which is part of the story. Absolutely true. The other half is Facebook looks to content that people want to engage in and they want people to engage positively and communicate with each other. So if you have content where the comment section is conversations so people can build community and, commu and, and talk together, you're going to get a lower CPM inside the marketplace and you're going to be shown to more people for cheaper because your content is better at doing what Facebook wants to do, which is occupy your time by connecting you with other people so that you have conversation. I think, you know, it's really around, there's a lot of different ways of doing it. I think you can, I've seen people solve it in many different ways. One is, you know, adding content. One of the ways that used to be great was, hey, comment below with what you think. And then Facebook started to really penalize you for that. Um, and then, you know, uh, there used to be stuff where, what really, well, let me put it this way. What works really well is when a brand doesn't always focus on selling. When a brand has content that isn't always about yourself. For instance, I've got a band. I'm a musician. There's one of my guitars. I, I can turn this thing around and there's 20 other on the wall. Uh, and then on like this case and I, I'm obsessive. Um, but one of the things that I do to get my band a lot of attention, we, we have over 50,000 followers on Instagram. We get millions of views on, on YouTube. It is for everyone so they can look you up. Uh, it, it's Dirty Cakes Band. Here, I'll find it on Instagram right now so I can just like hold it up to the thing. Um, but one of the things that we do, here you go, Dirty Cakes Band. Nice. Make sure you Verified. go check them. You got to come to the island. You got you to play a punk show at the island. I'm excited. I'm down. I'm down. Um, 
But one of the things I think that the brand, that brands really miss is talking about the identity of the brand. Really big brands mean something to somebody. Most people think that they have a product and that means they have a business. If you have a product that's not a business, that's you're selling an individual product. You're a guy on the street selling something, which you can make a shit ton of money selling product. That's fine. But if you have a business, it needs to have an identity so that somebody has an emotional connection to your product. And I think that that is a major thing that a lot of people miss is the emotional connection. You know, there's, it, I always refer back to the golden circle. I don't know if you're familiar with it, but so, and there's a TED talk about it and there's business about it. But when I was, when I was in, when I was at this, uh, you know, evil conglomerate ad agency, which I'll leave their name out of it, but um, their social lead, the guy that was in charge of everything on Facebook, he taught me this. And it's when people are selling computers, right? IBM says we have the fastest processor and the best this and the best that all of our numbers are better than everybody else. You should buy our product. What Steve Jobs did with Apple was say, we have something fun that makes your life better, that's gonna solve problems. And oh, by the way, it happens to be a computer. And we're gonna sell it to you in a way that's really easy to use. They're not telling you that everything is great because it, it, it generally usually isn't. But what they're doing is they're emotionally solving your problem for you. And you see this with a lot of brands like McDonald's does that where they're not selling you, hey, our chicken nuggets are the best in the world. They're showing you happy children, right? Nike isn't showing you that Nike isn't saying our shoes are gonna make you jump faster or jump higher and run faster. They're saying, look at everybody that's like doing this thing, right? Um, Sprite is another one where they align themselves with like hip hop and basketball. They're creating brand identities. And I think that if your content puts across a brand identity, um, then you're much more likely to win on the content game, which brings your advertising and your e-commerce to be much more beneficial. If you're only selling, if I'm coming to your door and the only thing I have to say is here, buy my shit, you're going to slam the door on my face and stop answering really, really quick. Like when my cousin tries to sell me Amway after not talking to him for three years, I, that conversation lasts about 10 messages and then he goes away. Yep. There's no relationship. I think it's something that you can do with the organic page. I think that if people have the budget, I mean, I'm a performance marketer. If a dollar doesn't earn me a dollar and a half, I don't want to do it. But um, I think that where you can really develop this and where brands are really winning is, I mean, and this is a lesson that I learned from a, from a previous boss is Facebook is also looking at everything inside your ecosystem. It's not just your Facebook page. It's not just your Instagram account, but it's every asset you have inside the Facebook ecosystem. And one of those assets is also groups and pages and everything else. If you're a brand, one of the biggest brands that I was winning with had a Facebook group that had 250,000 people. So anytime an ad got finished, the sentiment for this brand, the conversation for anything that brand did was phenomenal. And that brand would also do live feeds where you can see the CEO. So the sentiment that Facebook saw around any content attached to that business was massive, which meant that I could, I could see so much better results than other people would because the sentiment and the CPMs and the, and the reception of that content was something that Facebook wanted to show to people. And it knew exactly who those people were. Yeah, I mean, if you do a live and you get 2,000 viewers, that's phenomenal, right? Like, that means that, like, for instance, as just a for instance on my band's page, just as, as like somebody that isn't anything, right? 
if I do a live and I get a thousand follow and I get a thousand viewers and a couple hundred comments, if I then post something immediately afterwards, whatever I post afterwards is going to get hundreds of engagements immediately because Facebook is pushing that out right away. And it's not only the net result of all the content you have, but how quickly it gets adopted. So when you go live, the engagements happen really fast. So if you have a regular, uh, if you have a regular delivery system that constantly gets people excited about anything that you're doing, then you're going to win. And you see brands that kill on this are like Buzzfeed. That's their bread and butter. Right. And then you see like tasty, that's their bread and butter. You see, uh, you know, uh, IG lad, like that's what they're doing is these are all content plays where they know they've got like 10 or 20 different things. And anytime they put something out, it's either going to catch fire or they get rid of it. And if you delete something, that's totally fine. It doesn't hurt you. It doesn't count against you. You're just saying, hey, don't consider this in the next thing. Like, why, why do I need, if I, if I make some posts, say, say a brand says something and people don't respond positively to it, why does it need to be there? Yeah. Like, you can get rid of it. It's like, it doesn't matter. There's, there's, it's only there for, you know, posterity's sake and, and screw it. If it's bad for your business, get rid of it. Like, you wouldn't just leave a product on the shelf just because, you, well, I, I, I put it on the shelf. Like, no, like, if it's not selling, you, you, get, it, you, you get rid of it. You, you know, I've seen brands where, like, I saw a brand that got into the health and wellness space, and they made gym equipment, and they could not sell it. And they had it on their shelf for five months. It was costing 10 grand a month to house this shit. And I said, you want to know the number one thing you can do for your bottom line is give that to a school and save yourself $10,000 a month. How many yeah. and much money do you want me to spend on ads for you to break even versus me giving you 10 grand a month? Which, by the way, is far less than you're paying me. So I'm going to pay for myself every month just by you giving something away. The number one thing that I'm looking at right now as far as hacking is I understand machine learning is trying to do its best job. So what can I do to train it to understand what my objectives are? Because it doesn't understand English or whatever language you're speaking. Like, I don't care who you are. I mean, you guys are in Canada, so French or English or whatever, right? Uh, oui, oui. <laughs> it doesn't know that. You're not telling you what your goal is. So when it gives you a bad day or a good day, it doesn't know any better because you haven't told it what's good and bad. So what I'm really working on right now is how do I train an inanimate object to understand my business goals? And that has become the number one thing that's the driver of efficiency. And, and in that way, I have seen time and again, efficiency gains far better than anything else by just telling the machine learning what your goal is. I had somebody, um, you know, it, it's like if you're, you know, when you're training a kid, if they can't understand you, you know, like, okay, if, if maybe they're deaf. How do you teach them what to do? Like you, you learn ways to communicate with people that might not understand all of your words. How do you teach a kid what the, what the alphabet is, right? It's positive reinforcement, negative reinforcement. Yep. So you just do the exact same thing and you have to understand what that reward and punishment system is for the Facebook platform. Um, well, one, I, I love the Power Five. And I remember when we were testing out each individual thing like two, three years ago, I was in, I remember when like, it was just an idea in Menlo Park and it was, it was great to see this come through. It's funny, on the back of my laptop right now, I have a sticker, like this transparent sticker of the Power Five like test program, like the alpha of the Power Five test program. And it's like the Power Rangers. It's this complete thing that they couldn't do, but some engineer did it. It's totally violating all, you know, rules. 
Um, but I keep it as like a nice thing. Oh, um, that's great. I completely buy into it. I, I think it's absolutely there. I, I think what all you really need to do is limit the fringes. So if you give guidelines, if you give safety nets to understanding what those goals are, and we can go into massive detail about some examples of what that looks like, um, but if you can go into that, I think then you can really start to train the system to understand what it is. And it's as simple, I mean, for what it's worth, you can let the kid eat anything out of the fridge, but if you see it in a cookie, you slap its hand. You're not preventing it from eating anything. You're saying you can make all the choices you want, but if you picked up something out of that, I'm gonna slap you, right? Like I'm gonna slap your hand and you're gonna be in trouble, right? Not slapping children, you know what I'm saying. I could tell you're a parent. <laughs> uh, so like that small bit of understanding, right? And I think it's the little, what I think people try to do is either outsmart the system or they try to make wholesale judgment calls. And what I find is much better is incremental small changes, small little moves with really big ideas can, can, if you're doing testing, really big things, you can move mountains. And all you really need to do is just say, I need to be 1% better than yesterday. I mean, it's and that old like, that Nissan or, or Toyota, that that's their entire business model. 100% native, it's the free tool, it's the automated rules. It's the number one most overlooked tool inside of Facebook. And I've actually talked to the automated rules team about telling them to make it more user-friendly. And they say, well, if nobody uses it, we're really super excited about it. We pushed it for like a year, nobody got into it. And so now they're, you know, those guys are also working on the machine learning. They're working on like the new Facebook feed and every, I mean, I remember when you had a regular thing and then a power editor and then it all became power editor and then that got souped up 10 times. Um, but the native tool does absolutely everything that you need it to do. And I think that you can run an entire business on four or five business rules. So for instance, I, I personally ascribe to, I've got like two major rules that I run, two types of rules, and then um, something to kind of clean it up. But the two types of rules I do, one is called a limiter. It's basically saying, because I'm an old audio engineer, um, it's a limiter. It's basically saying, if my performance has no way of achieving my business goal today, I'm going to turn this ad off. And I run ads day to day. And if, so if it turns, if, 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 if you're not able to deliver me my goal, no matter what, say for instance, you're going to spend a hundred bucks today and you're $50 in and my cost goal is $20. That means that in the next 50 bucks, you need to deliver me five conversions for $10 or better. The likelihood of that happening is nothing. So I'm not going to let you fail anymore today because I've got 10 other, I've got half a dozen other things that are working. So I'm not going to let you fail anymore. And then I have something that's more of a sliding scale, which says, well, maybe you've gotten a couple, you know, say the $100 and $20 example, maybe you got two by the time you went to 70 bucks. Well, that's great, but you're still, there's no way in the next 30, you're going to be efficient enough to get down to my goal. So I can have two or three of those that turn ads off throughout the middle of the day. And then uh, I'll reactivate everything at night. And I will only use it, I will use it on every ad that I'm running and across every campaign. Um, Cause I only have a couple campaigns. Um, I mean, I've, I've managed $50,000 days across like three campaigns. I, I, you don't need more than that. Um, and and uh, with that being said, I think the last piece is if any ads aren't good enough, we'll get rid of them. And, and I mean, I can go into the whole rigmarole about that stuff too, but I think those are the two primary rules is just reducing exposure to inefficiency and then only relying on things that you're willing to give that risk to. 
but I know we don't have time to get too much into that, but like to give an example of how this works, like optimization yeah. of your account. So say you're running those automated rules, right? And so then you're saying, okay, these are some limitations. Let's just say for instance, that you've got 10 ads and your net, uh, your net performance is like 75 bucks, right? So you've got maybe 10 ads at hundred dollars and 10 ads at 50. That gives you a net 75 on average. If you're able to eliminate one or two of those hundred dollar conversions, then your net becomes less than 75 which totally makes sense. Now what happens is remember Facebook is going to look at the performance that's previously been given. So if your net average performance is 75 bucks, Facebook's going to probably deliver you 75 bucks tomorrow. If you can get your net average to 65 to 60 to 50, it's going to probably deliver you 65, 60 or 50. So what you need to do is use the automated rules to deliver impressions and, and conversions that aren't good. You're basically saying the way that you slap it out of the hand is saying you're on your way to getting a hundred dollar conversion. I need you to be at a 75. Once you pass a certain threshold, I know that you're not going to likely get to that point ever again today. So I'm going to slap it out of your hand. So if you can get more conversions below your, your average, obviously your average is going to go down. And so then this, when the learnings happen at the ad level, every ad itself builds out a data pool, basically of all the people that it's seen and all the people the success that it's had. So every ad is effectively making a lookalike audience based off the people that have converted with it. So every ad itself is making a lookalike audience where each piece of content is finding people that respond positively to it. Like we were talking about, people want to see the things that are good for them. So you might have three or four different sales pitches, right? And one sales pitch, you know, one where people interested in moms really like this and really into ducks with this and people really into clowns, they like this, but you have three ads inside of one ad set. It means you can incrementally reach three different groups of people. Maybe you have one or two for each one. So you can see what does good today and what does bad today. Because an ad that's gangbusters for the last two weeks might just have a shit day. That's fine. Um, if you have multiple options, you can day trade between them. So ultimately what happens is because the ads make lookalike audiences, when you run those ads inside of very broad audiences, you're not limiting their exposure. And if you have very few audiences, like a broad audience and maybe like a lookalike, then in one large like stacked lookalike based on business, different business objectives, you're giving that ad the broadest audience, which gives it the best chance of finding more users. And because if you, don't, if you have, instead of having a half a dozen or a dozen campaigns with a half a dozen ad sets in each one, creating 60, 70, 100 different ad sets, each one with a few ads in it, where every ad might get 50 bucks today, might get 200 today, but your budget's like five grand. Instead, if you put that in two or three places, you're letting each one of those see a ton of data points, which means every single ad itself is getting a dozen or two dozen conversions on a regular basis. So the lookalike audience that each ad is creating is smarter and smarter and smarter. And then when you eliminate the lowest efficiency ads on any given day, your efficiency will continue to improve. And then all you really need to do is continue to lower what those thresholds, what those, what those rules are. Once you hit stability, if you're at 75 bucks and you implement some rules and you get it down to 70, and then you're seeing that constantly, then you notch it down again so you can get a little bit lower. Um, and so what you're really trying to do is prevent net higher CPAs on any given day. And you can do this with like half a dozen ads. Like if you have two or three ads and two or three ad sets or two or three campaigns and you're spending all your money there, each one of them is likely to see hundreds of dollars of spend a day. And if say your cost per goal is 30 bucks, right? If you're spending $500 roughly per ad or $500 per this group, each one has a massive chance to win and to fail. And you want it to fail. You want it to understand what good and what bad looks like. And when you start to turn the ads off, what you'll find is the ones that are can continually providing business objectives that you like are going to get more of the spend. For instance, if you've got three ads running and one of them gets turned off and the second one gets turned off and the other one's doing okay, 
What happens the next day? That one that did okay is probably gonna get a little bit more spend after a week, after a month. The one that constantly gets turned off, even if you just leave nothing on it, it's gonna get very little delivery. So when you're doing creative testing, all you need to do is find new ads to perform as good or better than your net average. And then you take that loser, you kick it out and you bring in a new one that's doing better. So if you've got a $50, a 60, a 70, an 80, and a $90 CPA ad, five ads in an ad set, and you bring in something and you're averaging 70 bucks, if you bring in some creative testing that's coming at 65, you drop it in, you kill the 90, your CPA is gonna drop 10% the next day. Overnight, you're gonna see that performance. And so that's like, that's much better way of optimizing versus trying to find the right ad for the right audience. That theory worked five years ago before the machine learning was good. And that theory, like you were getting to before, really comes from a lot of the managers and a lot of the people that were really in charge of a lot of agencies came up in the Google world, where it's very, very much about CPC and defining the right ad for it was display advertising and everything else, where they're not really akin to Facebook's algorithm is seeing trillions of data points across billions of users 24 hours a day. It knows more than you. It's smarter than you, it's smarter than me, and hundreds of really, really smart people that are probably smarter than both of us are the ones building all that and are constantly updating it. So by allowing that machine learning to just understand what your business objectives are and preventing it from failing, just small little nudges in the right direction, like bumpers when you go bowling, right? Like just, okay, well, you can't gutter. You're not allowed to gutter today. If you're gonna gutter, we're just gonna go home. Then it's okay. And the only ads that you're using are the ones you have a high confidence in. Yeah, I think the number one thing is, I think people don't fully understand the way that Facebook looks at ads. Like they don't understand that an ad makes a lookalike audience based off the performance of that ad and finds other users like it. So you might say, well, this ad might really appeal to rodeo clowns and this ad might really appeal to fans of ducks and this one might really appeal to moms. It's like, if they're all in an ad set, they're gonna find those people. Right, so I think people really focus on this old school mentality. And I remember when it came around because I remember before there was a conversion pixel. I remember every conversion event was a different pixel you had to put on the thing. We were doing traffic campaigns and trying to back out results. Like it was a nightmare, but I remember that. And that's where the thinking really came from. But now understanding that Facebook's ecosystem is built around having the ad build an audience for its own and then letting it go out and find those people I think that's one of the biggest misunderstandings because really the only reason why you would have more than one campaign for a business object for any business objective is because you're trying to hack that somehow. So I will only have one campaign, one campaign per business objective. If my business objective is the prospect for this product, I'm not going to have 10 campaigns competing with each other with overlap and all this other stuff. I'm gonna go cite back to the Bombist case study, which Facebook has been preaching like gospel for five years, and it's because it works. Where you basically take an entire ad account down to one campaign with two audiences, a broad and a lookalike 1%. And what you're doing is that broad is reaching the most amount of people as efficiently as possible, and uh, the lowest CPMs, so your conversion rates can be shit, but you're still gonna be okay. And then the lookalike is providing the, the is getting the low-hanging fruit, the best customers. Now, what I've done to improve upon that, and we've done six-figure case studies with Facebook coupons across a dozen brands, is stacking those lookalikes to build them on business objectives. So my lookalikes will be previous buyers, CRM list, everybody that's ever bought the product, I want to be able to convert them for as cheap as possible. And then using the value-based lookalike audience that Facebook has. These are the customers that are likely to spend the most amount of money. Now, it's like a Venn diagram, right? So one of them is full of everybody that's going to convert for cheapest. The other one is everybody willing to spend the most amount of money. And then I'll do one more lookalike on the buyers that have converted since I did creative testing. Because if they uh, like the people that have 
converted since I've done creative testing and all my ads are the ones that are, that are winners of creative testing, then they're like, they're the buyers that are most likely respond to the creative that I'm already using. And what happens is those three circles all kind of overlap in some Venn diagram and Facebook will target the overlap first. And what you really want, I see the biggest mistake is people say, well, our local likes are killing it today or our interest groups are doing this is that you're looking at it the wrong way because it's not, is this look like doing well? It's this is, what is the overall blended customer acquisition cost for your entire platform when you're managing platform, part of funnel by platform by part of funnel by platform. So if your Facebook prospecting is working, then it's, yes, maybe your lookalike is more efficient than your broad, but when you spend up in broad, you can scale your account by 2X, but because the lookalike is more efficient, it's gonna be spending less, but it drags your net CPA down. And so I think, Anything beyond that needs to have a business objective. And this is a good rule for 90% of people. There's always a reason why somebody's doing better than that by cheating that rule. And every business has a little, a little, you know, tweak to it. It's not a golden rule. I'm not trying to sit here and tell people this is the only way to do it and everything else is dumb. But the more audiences you use, the more diversified your spend is, the less intelligent you're letting Facebook be, the more mistakes you're going to have by a sheer just lack of training, which means it's gonna be longer and longer for you to get stable results. And if you don't have stable results, you can't use optimization techniques to become more efficient. And it's always more efficient to get 10%, it's always easier to get 10% more efficient than it is to maintain the efficiency and spend 10% more. Yeah, and if you're doing your creative testing against a broad audience and the only ads you're using are the ones that work at broad, and then your main audience, your, your, your entire campaign is built around targeting a broad audience, you have, in, you from the very first day, instituted a system that works for everybody. And if it works for everybody and it's stable and you can spend all of your money in one place, then you're gonna be able to really focus on week over week, month over month improvements on efficiency or scale. Everything else is basically just, it is smart and it's busy work and it's obviously has value, but I see people working four or five hours a day banging their head against the wall to maintain efficiency. And my thing is like, I can answer almost every business question that I'm needing to in less than 90 minutes a day. Like if I have to spend more than 90 minutes a day on any Facebook account, it's because I'm diving into big thinking or I'm trying to come up with the next test, but I'm not actually in the platform for nearly that amount of time. Because I'm just saying, ultimately what it comes down to is, is this, is my, how's my creative testing doing? Do I have something that's better than my control ads? Yes or no? If yes, I drop it in, I get rid of my worst control ads. And then what is my business objective this week? Am I trying to be more efficient or am I trying to spend more money? Then it's a really simple thing. If I'm trying to be more efficient, great. What's my budget allocation between top of funnel and bottom of funnel? Um, if, if, and, and that's one of the big things I see people make mistake all the time is they're not nearly spending, they're never spending enough money at the bottom of the funnel. They're like, well, my retargeting is doing well. And I'm like, great. Are you spending in full? Are you at a point now where you cannot spend any more money in retargeting and it's doing worse than prospecting? No, then you're not spending enough in retargeting. Everybody wants new customers, but the number one fallacy is people say, if, once they, if, they, if they click and they don't buy, they don't like you. It doesn't mean that at all. The, the likelihood of me coming to your house for a first date with the condom on in, you know, ready to go and us doing it right when I knock on the door is zero, right? And what you're saying Definitely. is if you don't do that, then you're going into retargeting and I got to put you through this whole journey where it's 2 or $3 per click and I might spend $10, $15 to get a no. That's really inefficient. I'll just let everybody continue to make decisions and treat everybody equally and just say, look, these, can, these conversions are gonna work, these sales pitches are gonna work at, at scale. That's the, only way, that's the only thing I'm concerned about in the business. Unless you're a really niche product. And, and if you're a really micro budget product 
where you can't spend enough to drive seven to eight conversions a day per campaign and 50 conversions per week to get out of the learning phase. And that's a whole other um, strategy to go down. I mean, I think the number, if I had to say the top three things that I'm most excited about, one is absolutely e-commerce integration, because I think the more amount of efficiencies you can gain there, the easier it'll be because I mean, I remember back in the day, like I did a case study for, I was on the show called The Pitch. They used to air after Mad Men, where it was like ad agencies competing to be the AOR for a company. We did something for um, 1-800-Flowers. And it was uh, the whole groundbreaking theory was they were going to run a campaign on Facebook. You couldn't do anything else. And so we ended up doing a social gifting campaign. And it was like the first time anybody had really been doing something like that. And what resulted was an ability to send somebody a gift card um, of like a, a coupon to 1-800-Flowers or Starbucks or something like that directly inside the platform. And it, it went away after about six months. And this was maybe six years ago. What I think would be awesome is a buy now button directly in the feed. If you get a one-click buy in the feed that connects to a Facebook pay, then you're eliminating all the barriers to entry. Because I think the number one most important thing is when somebody clicks on your ad, every second that it takes them or every click that it takes them to actually get to the purchase, the less likely they are to buy from you. There are, now there are, again, some exceptions. I've seen people do these artificial like value building things that totally work for them. You know, these aren't golden rule, but if I have to click on your site and then find the buy button and then click there and then make some options and then do, if it takes me like five minutes, I'm already, I'm already done. I don't care. Mm. Like I, I'm interested. This is cool. I'm going to go on Amazon and buy it from your competitor. You just spent money so that I can make your competitor rich. So I think the most exciting thing is that integration with Shopify and WooCommerce and BigCommerce where they're going to be able to pull in that integration. Also, I'm really excited about it because I have a lot of stock in Shopify. Right. Um, really good buy, by the way, in case you're yeah. an investment nerd like me. Um, I got my Bitcoin. I got my Litecoin. I got my Shopify. Always going to Facebook for Q3 and Q4 because when everybody dumps their money in to make sales for the holiday times, you just bank and then sell by January. Um, but that's neither here nor there. Um, I think the other two things that I'm really excited about um, is also the data integration. Because the thing that makes Facebook really smart is the machine learning. So anything that can improve that machine learning ecosystem. And then also the placement options. Like Anywhere else that they can show ads, I'm a big believer in auto placement, auto bidding, auto targeting, like manual, I guess it's not lowest cost bidding. I think it's still auto placement, but like, you know, um, all of those things and, and allowing Facebook to control those impressions on any platform to continue for letting Facebook's ecosystem to do, uh, you know, basically cerebral hacking to understand what's going to make somebody convert and whatnot. I'm always down to let them do it because I know ultimately they're going to try to continue to have me spend money. And if I'm using automated rules and creative testing to let them know what my business objectives are, they're not going to spend where it doesn't work for me. But if I can get incremental reach, I'm all about it. Nice. I, I mean, I think ultimately the adoption of the technology is still on the upswing. I mean, there are still people that aren't doing it. It's still not a best practice for every single person. Mm. And I think ultimately, the more people that there are, the more people that there are with money, the more people there are with money. Let me put it, let me put it to you in absolute terms. The more teenage girls there are in the world, the more money people will have to spend on them. That's the number one market to sell anything in the world is girls 14 to 20. More people spend money on girls 14 to 20 than any other demographic on the face of the planet across every single culture. That's the number one driver of e-commerce dollars, period. The more of them that there are, 
the more money is going to be spent on getting stuff for people. And by, if you can provide a better conduit for that happening, then you're going to make more money. And I think ultimately in-store shopping as a requirement for society, especially after this quarantine is being proven to be an out of touch mentality. And I think that Amazon was first to it. He was, you know, well, however you want to say it, Bezos is basically the guy that was like, I think when people are drunk at their house, they're going to want something sent to their place for free and I'll give it to them. He was that big idea and he just, he's going to make a trillion dollars on it with a T. It's going to happen. That is a fundamental shift that is the same thing as like Sears and Roebuck was 100 years ago. You yeah. Know? I mean, I think what it does more than anything is it lowers the barrier to entry to somebody with a good idea. Um, and you can use, I, I mean, as a music business guy, uh, I can use a bit music business um, analogy. Napster destroyed the music industry because it exposed the level of corruption and overcharging and, and unnecessary uh, infrastructure, right? Like it used to be in the 90s, if you got a song on MTV, MTV was the tastemaker for everybody and you got millions and millions of people saw it. And basically, if you want to get a number one album, the number one way to do it was to get your song on the radio and to get it on MTV. And if you can do that, then you were fundamentally going to succeed. Napster came in, destroyed that entire model, and then made it so that anybody with, with a recording studio could make a record. And you saw all these people just pop up. They were like good people. And the democratization of that, whether you want to say it one way or the other, Justin Bieber is a great example of how a talent on YouTube can undermine billions of dollars being spent by, by the recording industry. Say what you will about Justin Bieber, but he was a 13-year-old kid on YouTube. He was an eight-year-old kid on YouTube. From Pussledge, Ontario. Yeah. Like, that's, that's what he did, right? And his success was also matched at a global level. It was scaled by Simon Cowell, which was basically doing the exact same thing, but making it a game show in every country in the world. And, you know, now he's got tight T-shirts and nice cars everywhere. Um, but I think the democratization of that, basically allowing anybody with a good idea to succeed is a phenomenal way that undermines the value of people. And now the problem is, I think ultimately the people seeing is the gate holders of that democratization are, are in this really aw really awful place. We're seeing basically the same thing as like steel barons or oil barons, right? Like the, the same thing, you could call Amazon the same thing or Facebook as like US steel or, or you know what I'm saying? Like, uh, or, or, or any Middle Eastern country built on oil. Like, you're, you now have to centralize the power to the people that provide that. And I think that's one of the things that's really exciting, but it also becomes really dangerous. And, and I think that ultimately what will happen is some sort of control being put on that locally in different markets, whatever. But I, I think right now, the people that are utilizing it are able, the people that are utilizing it are able to make the most of it. And obviously barriers will come in. I remember when Facebook was $2 CPMs, now it's 20, right? Like, you can print money on Facebook. You can 10x every dollar that you spent. Now, you're, if you're getting two, that's great. Um, but I think that ultimately comes down to democratizing that. And what will ultimately win is the things that occur off platform that we talked about before is the customer service and the brand identity. And you might be somebody that's really good at dropshipping stuff from AliExpress. And, you know, we all know those individuals that are making a lot of money doing it. 
But if you want to win long term, it's building customer service. Like, do you call your customers? What is your return policy? Like all of these good business ethics and good business will always win outright over bad business, not in good ideas, but well executed, well executed business plans. And I think that what we're seeing is, you know, 10, 20 years ago for you to start a business where you would be shipping products directly to people's homes anywhere in the world was an idea that was an inconceivable business plan unless you had billions. Now, I've got some students inside of my Facebook group that like, they're 16 year old German kids that are paying for college. Yeah. So like, and that's it, you know? That's it. I think that's where we'll leave it today, Charlie. Okay, this sounds good. Power to the children. Let's save yeah. the children. We gotta save those kids. Uh, no, but I'm interested for the way, what we've all just gone through, what we're all through here. Uh, for the past three months, we'll change the world. And you hit the nail on the head uh, with, you know, with a lot of the sort of like false structures will fall, whether it's in education, whether it's maybe government, whether it's in, you know, police we're seeing or, or wherever. Yeah. And we're, in, we're in for some big changes. And I just, I feel like where we're at, uh, you know, in, in advertising, it being as accessible. I think it's a really interesting comparison to talk about steel barons versus steel barons never made it you know, maybe they did. Maybe they did make it easier, democratize. You know, if, if they made steel available to everyone, I well, guess they built, maybe they, they did railroads. facilitate. So they facilitate. built railroads. Yeah. yeah, yeah. They built they built cities, skyscrapers, railroads. They made population expansion a viable thing. It's true. You know what I'm saying? So oil barons, they 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 allowed the industrial revolution to occur, right? At scale and cars, right? Ford. Yeah, he made a car, but what did he really do? Ford made a product that allowed the average customer, the average individual to define a lifestyle that went outside of what they could walk. Which right? is or like what your horse could do. You know? So that's, that's, that's a fundamental shift in society at large. And so we're just doing the exact same thing. And, and for what it's worth, and, and I've had to come up with this to have peace of mind when I worked at companies or for products that I didn't necessarily totally believe in. Um, ultimately, if you're a really good Facebook advertiser or any digital e-com advertiser, what you're doing is you are figuring out a way to provide value to somebody and do the work for them. Where I do the best on Facebook, for instance, is when I'm finding somebody in need of a specific solution and I'm, find, I'm finding the most efficient way of providing somebody in need of a solution with the, with, with the solution to their problem. If you have a problem, my job is to find you and solve it with something that makes your life better. I'm selling aspiration 99% of the time. So you want your life to be better. If I can find you to make your life better and provide it for you, maybe buy two, get one free, plus free shipping, whatever else, and then Mazel Top to me. But like, that's my ultimate job, is to use this platform to provide a higher quality, to provide aspiration to individuals that might not otherwise get it. Because the honest truth is, there's plenty of things that you might want to get, but if there's not a store within walking distance, or now that we have cars, things to afford driving distance to you, and they haven't advertised to you that it exists, and you can actually buy it and price check it and understand that you're getting the thing exactly that you want, you're not gonna have it. 
And so there, it makes a certain quality of life attainable to anyone. And if I try to think about it like that, then um, I can sleep at night because sometimes I've gotten really hectic about certain things. I, I've, been, I've sold everything under the sun, like yeah. dozens and dozens of brands spent, like I said, I used to spend a million dollars for half a dozen brands. I've done everything. Get a love that goes out the to, door at that scale. Yeah. Yeah, yeah, you have a moral quandary with the things occasionally, absolutely. But I'm, I just try to look at it more along the lines of, if I can, if I can, my job is to most efficiently provide that opportunity for somebody and do it in a way that creates enough profit margin for me to be able to do it for other people, to allow you achieving your aspiration to pay for my time so that I can achieve mine and then reach two other people. Right, like that's ultimately the goal. I, I love it. Leave it. If people <laughs> in your group find out more, we already found out uh, about your band. If do you take problems to your group when you want to plug? Uh, sure. Let me let me find the uh, the the thing here real quick. And by the way, for my group, I do lives every Saturday at ten a.m. I have a free group. I do ebooks. Um, and here's the group, by the way. Um. But Facebook ads, bots, sexy tips, true ecom, Shopify. You got a lot of keywords. In there. Yeah, there's some, there's some, there's some SEO. You know, yeah. you know, there's some SEO. But uh, I started this a little over a year ago, and I'm at twelve thousand people. I personally approve every single person. I personally approve every single post. I personally respond to every single question. And every week, I do an hour long class that's free. And in those classes, we address everybody's questions from the week. And I give a lesson and some homework. And there is an ebook, there is a Patreon if you want to help, and it, it absolutely does. But it's not a front end to some like course or whatever, because if you can't afford that, you can do any of the homework for any of the weeks and you can get any of the content you want for free. Amazing. So, Fantastic. because the thing for me, more than anything, is that exchange with everybody. That 16 year old kid in Germany might have an idea where I don't have a good reason why his dumb idea is a bad one. And I have brought fundamental ground changing, like landscape changing concepts to advertisers that I've worked for because somebody had a dumb question I didn't have a good answer for. So I get so much out of it that I'm more than willing to give it all away just so that more people can provide me value. And also if I'm answering questions for 12,000 people, nobody might, that I'm gonna get on the phone with is gonna have something new, which means I'm kicking ass all over the place. <laughs> Well, hot damn, Charlie. I'm glad to be kicking ass alongside you. Yeah. You. All killer, no filler. I think this will be the first of a hopeful, hopefully regular installment where we can. I try to get my, my no killer, uh, all killer, no filler hat going here. Nice. Yeah. Killing it. Enough. All right, Charlie. Thanks again. Stay safe, play, and have a great weekend. Thank you very much, my man. I appreciate it. See ya.